Hey, murder lovers, my name's Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. So I'm going back to murder today. Nice! So there's that. Yay! Um, <laughs> Who's ever said yay to back to murder? I know. Yay! <laughs> In fact, I talked to my friend this morning. I told her, I was like, I'm gonna... She was like, what's your story today? And I was like, it's an axe murder. And she was like... Oh, thank God you're going back to murder. <laughs> okay, sassy fans. Had enough of the demons. Thank you very well, much. She is not a fan. So, yeah. Today, like I said, we're doing an axe murder. Yay. <laughs> Again, an odd thing to yay for. <laughs> so, this is the story of Joan and Peter Porco, I believe is how you pronounce their Porco? last name. Porco, P-O-R-C-O. That sounds like Porco. Yeah. Um, So they lived in Del Mar, New York, and they had two sons. Um, Christopher was 21 years old, and he was a student at the University of Rochester. And then their oldest son, Jonathan, was 23, and he worked on a nuclear submarine as an officer in the U.S. Navy. That's intense. He's kind of a big deal, if you ask me. I'm like, all right, okay. You're in charge of some very important buttons. Yeah. (laughs) Not the red one. Just right. don't hit don't the red one. Don't touch the red button. <laughs> Peter himself was 52 years old. He was a court clerk. And Joan was 54 years old. And she worked as a speech pathologist. Wow. Yeah. So kind of just like a really well-rounded, wholesome, upper middle class family, if you will. Okay. Um, they lived a relatively average lifestyle um it's not like they were living in mansions and things like that uh but they they did fine on november 15th of 2004 peter didn't show up for work he no called no showed which was weird like he's a responsible middle-aged man unlike some of these millennial gen zers that are out here just not showing up to work (laughs) triggered yeah seriously. as a supervisor i'm triggered yeah um so anyway so his co-worker was like well that's weird so he decided on his drive home from work that he was going to stop into his house and check on him because they couldn't get a hold of him throughout the day there was just like no contact whatsoever you know i wonder it's sorry as you were saying that i was like i wonder how like younger generations if they're so loose on the rules of whether like no call no show like how will we know if you're in trouble if this is something you do well especially in (laughs) this like work from home environment like people have talked about that how it's the chances of somebody like coming and looking for you slim to none at this point like as far as work is concerned a lot of cases funny enough it's because they didn't show up for work that somebody was like well that's weird but like, if one of my employees doesn't show up for work, I do everything I can to try and track them down. But, like, I can only do so much because right. a lot of them don't live in the state. They live else place. Right. Else, elsewhere. Else place? Oh, my God. <laughs> live elsewhere. So, like, I can't physically fly to Chicago right. to track down so-and-so and be like, uh, excuse me, I'd like to, but I can't. Right. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. So, like, like, you call your their emergency contact and hope for the best. Because a lot of times, at least in a lot of the cases that we've covered that are people that had careers if they that's like the first line yep. of they getting didn't show up for work and someone called of getting officers to show up and knock on a door mm-hmm. what that's weird i know that's weird to think about yep it's a weird world we're living in these days right 
Um, do you just I'm, keep calling someone on Zoom till they pick up? Like, I need to see you sick. What, what, what do you do? What do you send do? Send me a picture of your hospital papers. Right. Uh, now I'm like, wow, something happened to me. Who's coming to my house? Yo. My mom would be the one that fires the alarm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Everybody has that person. God. And my mom actually does know if something happens to me to reach out to you or Kara because okay. you guys have my location. Okay. So she does know cool. all of that stuff. All anyway, right. sidetrack. This will be on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> have a friend. Have a person that knows your pattern, but not I mean, in a creepy way. <laughs> you can leave it here. Um, we'll get back on track. Right. <laughs> anyway, so... Like I said, his coworker decided to stop by his house and he was going to check on him. So he knocked. There was no answer. Um, so he looked through the window and saw Peter was sprawled on the floor right in front of the door in a huge Damn. pool of blood. Damn, right away. Yeah. So he was like, all right, well, I'm going to go home. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> he called the police. He's not coming in for the rest of the week. Yeah, so, so Peter is calling I'm out. Sorry, I'm sorry. So he called the police and obviously police arrived dead body is laying in the doorway so oh, they he enter. was doa like there was no saving him yeah so okay. spoiler alert peter's dead yeah um so the police enter and peter is found dead on the floor and he has been hit by an axe 16 times whoa whoa that's so many yeah but what's crazier is that where peter was found was not where he was attacked okay so keep this in mind for down the road, but where okay. he is found is not where he's attacked. Okay. There is trails of blood throughout the house. Oof. And they go upstairs and into the master bedroom and they find that Joan is in their bed and she has been hit with an axe three times. Oh, wow. And she has a broken jaw. Her eye has basically exploded, if you will. Oh. My and gosh. her brain was exposed through her skull. Oh my god! But she's alive and conscious. No, no. Yeah, so she's still alive and conscious. Whoa! Next to Joan and all of her blood is another big pool of blood in the bed where Peter was originally struck. It's very okay. obvious that this is where he sure. was injured originally. Like two imprints on the bed, which okay. there are so many crime scene photos from this. So if you're part of the Facebook murder lovers group, it's gonna go on there. Um, there's so many. It's actually very interesting, and we'll talk about it later. But just know that is originally where the attack happened. Okay. So the axe that was used in the attack was still in the bedroom. Okay, I was about to ask, how do they know right away that it was an axe? Yeah, the axe was in the bedroom, and there's like. I mean, uh, without too many spoilers, if you look at pictures of her today, because she does end up living, it's pretty obvious, like, there are very long slashes across her sure. face. Like, it's not... A knife. It's not a knife stab. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, the axe is still in the bedroom. Um, the alarm system to the house has been smashed. The phone oh. line has been cut. The window is open, and there's a hole cut in the screen. So it looks like a break-in. Right. And paramedics arrive on scene. And as they're getting, you know, paramedics are coming. Everything's getting established as, like, a crime scene. The detective uh, goes over to her and asks if she knows who attacked her. Okay. And she nods her head. So they said, is it a family member that attacked you? 
And she nods her head. Oh, she can't speak. No. But she's just like, yes or no. Okay. Yeah, she nods her head. And they said, did Jonathan attack you, her oldest son? And she shakes her head no. Okay. And they said, did Christopher attack you? And she nods her head yes. How old is Christopher? 21. Oh, my God. So before police could actually get to Christopher to ask him questions and see what exactly happened, a, news re- a newspaper reporter actually called Christopher and asked for his statement regarding his parents' attack. Not The reporter not knowing he was involved. Not knowing that he had been named a person of interest. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, that's the first that Christopher had been informed that there was an attack. So he gets a call from this newspaper reporter saying, hey, your parents have been attacked. Do you got any statements or whatever? And he's like, sorry, what? So he's all... This is the first that Christopher hears of it? This is the first that anybody calls to talk to Christopher. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So his mom has basically implicated him at this point. Pointed a finger. But the first person that actually called Christopher is not a detective. It's a a newspaper reporter saying, hey, what's your statement? So it kind of takes him off... Yeah, I mean, it's not what he was expecting. Okay, Um, yeah. So he drops everything, and he rushes to the hospital where his mom is, and he's there throughout her operations and everything. She's in surgery for over 12 hours, just for that first initial surgery. Um, And he had been, you know, over 230 miles away at school, so he had to drop everything, drive several hours to actually get to her and be there with her. Am I confused or am I supposed to be confused right now? You're supposed to be confused. Okay, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) What? Yep. She did end up losing her eye. She suffered severe disfigurement. um, But like I said, she did survive. She's put into a medically induced coma. Wow. And when she wakes up, she doesn't remember implicating her son. And she believes he's innocent. Okay. She's like, my son would never do this to me. My son would not murder his father. He would not attack me. There's no way he would do this. And there's no way I would say that he did this. Color me confused. Okay, but okay. So the police, they were kind of, pressure was put on them because they were looking into Christopher like hardcore, not Mm. really exploring other options. And now that she had kind of like Recanted. recanted, they needed to kind of look and see if there was anything that they were missing. And he was 230 plus miles away. That's where he was when he got the phone call, yes. Gotcha. It's a few hours drive. Right, a few hours at the very least. Yep. So, and obviously, like, Joan had a traumatic brain injury, if you will. So it's really hard to know, like, was she, was she, like, aware of what she was saying at the time or, like, nodding and everything like that? Right. Um, So, hard to know. Or was she just obviously... Not aware of what she was saying. Okay. Right. So they start looking into these other options. So the police found that Peter had been threatened during a court custody case. Things had gone awry for one of the one of the parents, if you will. Okay. And that person had vowed revenge and was like, I'm gonna get you. I don't really know what a court clerk has to do with your custody case, but Oh, they- it wasn't his case. Sorry, I forgot that he was a court clerk. So yeah. It was just a case that he served on. Right. Okay. He worked on. Worked on, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he, um, things had gone wrong there, and the guy had basically said that he was going to get revenge and everything like that. Um, so they looked into this person, but the man had, like, a strong alibi. There was no way it could have been him. Okay. So they kind of crossed that off the list. Then they found out that Peter's great uncle was Frankie the Fireman Porco. And he was one of the head leaders, I guess, of an old family mob. Oh. I know. I love mob I stories. I know. It was my dream. up right now. <laughs> it was my dream growing up to marry into the mob, Loki. I think I've mentioned this before. Yeah. But, like, I, there's still part of me that's like, mm, I really feel like I missed out on an opportunity there. <laughs> Not that the opportunity ever came, right, but, but preferably the Gotti family. Anyway, if any of you guys are listening. Shoot your shot, girl. It's okay. Listen, there's three sons that are all about my age. Like, <laughs> you can slide into my DMs anytime. Anywho, so he, they were looking into him because he was serving time in prison for loan sharking and extortion. Okay. And they thought that maybe, like, basically... That a hit was put out on him and his family to keep him quiet from testifying against other members of a rivalry mob um, because there were some ongoing back and forth with legal proceedings. It's mob families, you know? There's always somebody right. doing something illegal and somebody else in another mob family that knows something. And so they thought that he was being questioned and cooperating with investigators. And there's no rhyme or reason for why they picked the people they do to put a hit out on us. Yeah, but. No. Whoever's closest, I guess. Um, but they found that he was in prison. He was not cooperating with investigators about things that he knew, may or may not know sure. with the mob. And it was basically kind of written off as a dead end because there was really no reason to. Yeah, exactly. So focus turns back to Christopher. Naturally. Right. So they find out that he had previously been named a suspect in... Two burglaries that happened at his parents' house, one in 2002 and one in 2003. And he had basically broken into his parents' house and stole their computer equipment on two different occasions. What? And sold them on eBay. Oh. They also, he also stole a camera and sold it on eBay. <laughs> what a moron. His account with eBay was actually frozen when he stopped sending items to the buyers. Uh. They would buy things and he wouldn't send it to them. And then they found emails that he sent to his buyers pretending to be his brother saying that he had died and couldn't send the items. Damn. The straight catfishing people. Yep. He had also robbed his place of employment. He worked at a vet hospital. Oh, wow. And had sold their stuff too. Oh, my gosh. And so they were like, well, that's interesting. He's selling all this stuff. What does he need the money for? Hmm. Right? Mob so, shit. Right. <laughs> He's involved in the mob. Yes, <laughs> That would be the really fun answer. Um, definitely not. So they're going through all of these different emails, and they find emails between Chris and his parents, and they obviously have a very difficult relationship. They had argued via email several times about his grades. He had been failing multiple classes, and they had to communicate via email because Chris was not answering their phone calls. Oh. So the parents would email him and be like, I know you're not going to answer my phone call, but you're still going to hear what I have to say to you. Yeah. <laughs> his mom had reached out to him about him failing multiple classes, and she was like, I'm so disappointed, and blah, blah, blah. Damn. You were just here, and you lied to me about all of this. 
And he had instead emailed his dad and said basically, like, she needs to chill out. This was an error with the registrar's office. Everything's fine. And you guys are all overreacting. So he basically chalked it up to a bookkeeping error. Mm -hmm. It was not. And then on further investigation, the detectives actually found that he had forged his transcripts to get into Rochester after he'd flunked out of Hudson Valley Community College. So the failing grades had been a trend and there was no error there. And he had managed to like forge his transcripts, get into this new college, but he couldn't pay for this new college. Oof. So he takes out several loans. Damn. And forges his parents' names as co-signers <sighs> on the co-signers. loans. This includes a $31,000 loan for living expenses at school. What? And a loan for a brand new bright yellow Jeep Wrangler. Damn, that's my dream car, though. Me too. Yeah. Not a yellow one, but I would love oh, to have a Jeep Wrangler. Yellow. White. Maybe that's one of the signs when people start living over their means... Yeah. That's a red flag. Well, and he's like, he's in debt debt at this point. Oh, yeah, that's big debt. So his parents, he had told his parents that his school was actually going to be paid for that year because his professor had misplaced his exam. And so the school was like, oh, my gosh, that's such a bad error on our part. Let me pay for an entire year of your tuition. Damn. For free because of one misplaced exam. And I was like, no, no, schools don't do that. They're in a business of making as much money as possible off of all of us. And the parents actually believed it. No. Until... They started getting collection calls. I was going to say. About all of these loans of credit. And yeah. the dad starts figuring it out. So one day he gets a call about that $31,000 loan. The next day it pops up on his credit line, this Jeep right. Wrangler. And he's pissed. So he's trying to call Chris. Chris is not answering his calls. So he's emailing him. So all of these emails oh, still the- exist about, you know... Why am I getting calls about this? You're ruining Mm -hmm. my credit. You're doing this and that. And he basically, the last email that he sends says that if his son doesn't figure it out, that he's going to be forced to call the bank and basically file fraud charges. Yeah. Because he's like, I got to fix my credit. Like, you are destroying my credit. You're taking out all of these lines of loans in my name that you can't afford. I can't afford. Thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, basically, I'm going to out you because I need to save myself at this point. Right. I'm not going to pay for all of this. And I can't afford it. No one can. Right. I mean, I'm sure someone can. But Someone can. But not them. Damn. Funny enough, though, Chris had been going around to all of his friends at school, telling them that his family was really well off. He had told an investment guy that he was going to be coming into a large amount of money. And um, he was telling his, you know, people that he knew that his family lived in mansions on the ocean side and they were all really well off and that this Jeep Wrangler had been bought and paid for him by his family and everything like that. So for him, it was like he was like trying to like, keep up this appearance but his family was like we don't actually live like that and we really can't afford this so i know so on the same email where dad had threatened to basically file these fraud charges he ends the email by signing it and saying we may be disappointed with you but your mother and i still love you and we care about your future (sighs) and i was like that's really nice parents (laughs) because i would have signed that email much differently (laughs) 
Also, I wouldn't have emailed him. I literally would have drove I driven to his college, dragged yeah. his ass out of his dorm room, For and sure. kicked it all the way back to Albany. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There would have been no calls, no emails. Nope. That's a you're done. Knock on the door. That Jeep is getting dropped off at the dealership. Mm-hmm. We are done. Well, that did not happen. Damn. <clears throat> so. Unfortunately for Chris, he had chosen a bright yellow Jeep. Mm-hmm. It's a very obvious vehicle. Yeah, that'd be so, easy to find. Detectives pull surveillance video from the university campus oh. the night of the murder. And it shows Chris's yellow Jeep leaving campus and also returning the next morning. Oh. The time frame basically matches the timeline of the murder occurring. So he leaves the Rochester campus at 10.30 p.m. And then a toll collector actually recalls him passing through their tolls at 10.45 p.m. Yellow Jeep. Yellow Jeep. Yep. At approximately 2 a.m., another toll collector near Albany, which is where his parents live, remembers him speeding as he approached the toll at a very concerning speed mm-hmm. where it was like shit is this guy gonna hit me right at approximately 2 a.m at 2 14 the parents alarm is deactivated by a code oh my god at 4 59 a.m the phone line is cut and then at 8 30 a.m the jeep pulls back into the surveillance footage at campus and parks he's back at school okay the police are like where were you? And he says that he was asleep at his frat house in the lounge area on a couch. And they're like, that's weird because security footage doesn't really, (laughs) that's weird, doesn't really match up with that. That's suspicious. Right. But they're like, cool, cool. We'll just let you keep up with your lies then. Nothing is stolen from the house. So the police are like, it's not a robbery. This whole thing with, like, the window being open, the screen cut, that kind of stuff. It's, it's a ruse. Yeah. They're like, there was no reason for that. And they do have the record showing an alarm or a code was actually punched into the alarm before it was smashed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. Did he realize that he had just actually entered in a code to deactivate the alarm and was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, oh, That's kind of a giveaway it. and smashed it. So they talked to Jonathan. Who, by the way, had, like, I mean, he was on, I think he was, like, on a submarine at the time. They were, like, it definitely wasn't him. So he talked to Jonathan, and Jonathan's, like, yeah, there is a family code for that house, and only a few people know it. Okay. And me and my brother both know that code. And that was the code that was entered in. Dang. They then talked to that investment professional that said that he would that basically he had talked to Chris because Chris had asked him for financial advice and said that he was coming into a lot of money and was looking for, you know, ways to reduce his debt and also, like, how to capitalize on it best. Didn't say how he was coming into the money, but that he was coming into it. Now, his parents had listed him and his brother as beneficiaries on a very, very, very large life insurance policy. Of course. Investigators. They were like, all right. Let's go ahead and, like, we're going to arrest him. Right. So they arrest him. There's no forensic evidence. Right. There's blood all over the house, but there's no fingerprints. There's nothing on the axe. There's nothing in his Jeep, which they were like, how in the world do you commit a crime like this? And then get into your Jeep and don't leave a trace of it. 
Right. The only forensic evidence they have is his mitochondrial touch DNA, if you will, on a New York tollway pass showing that he's entering oh. Albany. Oh, that's right. Because it's just eyewitness. It's not even video footage of right. the tolls. Yeah. So. Oh, damn. They're like, that's not really a whole lot to go off of. But the prosecution said basically, Chris was in a ton of debt. He knew that there was a life insurance policy that could get him out of it. Yeah. And he knew his parents were up his ass about it, basically. Oh, my God. And so he came into the house, cut the screen. Wait, did to... he confess to this? No. This oh. is what the prosecution what laid out at trial. Okay, okay. Yeah, so they arrest Chris and they put, a, despite the lack of forensic evidence, this is a case they present to trial. Gotcha. They say that he slices the screen and makes it staged to look like a break-in. He picks an axe, so that way they think it's a mob hit, because that's more mobby, if you will. Okay. He realizes that he's fucked up by entering the code into the pin pad, so he smashes the... Box. The box instead, thinking that's somehow going to erase the data or whatever. He then goes upstairs and attacks his dad first and whacks him in the face 16 times or whacks him in the body 16 times and attacks his mom that's so many times yeah super overkill they say that he wore scrubs from work that day because he worked at a vet clinic Uh uh-huh and then he burned the scrubs and that's why he didn't transfer any forensic evidence oh he burned it at the parents house yeah okay now a co-worker also testified that chris was skilled in animal surgery Mm. and based on his surgical training, that he would actually know how to clean up large amounts of blood to make sure that he wasn't actually transferring anything in and out of the house. Mm -hmm. And nine of Chris's frat brothers testified that Chris had not slept in their frat house that night or in his dorm. They were like, he said he was sleeping on the couch in the living room area. He was not there. Damn. No. Um... Other classmates testified that Chris pretended that his family was wealthy, said that they lived on oceanfront mansions. Obviously, that wasn't true. And then a neighbor testified that he saw Chris's Jeep at his parents' house that night. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Couple of star witnesses in this case. So the first star witness was the pathologist who came to the crime scene, examined the body, everything like that. Mm -hmm. And the pathologist testified... Where Peter was found was not where he was attacked, like we said. Mm -hmm. But he had made his way to that location on his own accord. Okay. He said that according to the blood evidence... This one's so crazy. I like... Um, According to the blood evidence, sometime between minutes or hours of the attack, Peter got out of bed and went about his normal routine... As if he was getting ready for work. What? Yes. He got out of bed, used the bathroom, stood at the bathroom sink, looked in the mirror, and nothing registered as far as the fact that he had been obliterated by an axe. So he was zombified. Like he Basically, was like- yeah. Something about the human body took over. And he went about his normal routine, not realizing wow. that he had been chopped up by an axe in the face. 
And he literally Probably stood in front of shock and stood in front of the trauma. bathroom mirror and nothing registered. Whoa. So then, according to the blood evidence, because it's all in the sink, again, right. there are photos of this. Mm-hmm. So then he goes downstairs and writes and dates a check for that day. What? He then Damn. loads the dishwasher. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Loads the dishwasher and packs a lunch for work. No. And then... How? I have no idea. So many questions. It's kind of like, for the lack of a better, like, explanation, when you cut a chicken's head off and its body still runs around, the body takes over. And it's just muscle memory. But there had to be something that went, there are dishes in the sink and I need to load it in the dishwasher. So his vision obviously was intact to be able to write a check, to load the dishwasher, to go to the bathroom. But not enough, like his brain function wasn't intact enough for him to look in the bathroom mirror and go, I'm hurt. I'm injured. Yeah, there's something wrong. So then he packs his lunch to go to work and then heads towards the front door to go get the mail. Keys in hand. Oh, and that's and that's where he collapses and dies. Wow. He does all of that, just like he's going about his regular day, all while his wife is upstairs bleeding to death in their bed. Right. And she's the one that actually makes it. Probably because she didn't move and couldn't. Yeah. And because he probably lost more blood by moving around. Oh yeah, there's blood everywhere. Right. And it literally, like, it goes from station to station. You can see everything he does because of the blood trail. So he left his dad on the bed. Yeah, he left his dad on the bed. Okay. But the dishwasher is open. His blood is all over the dishes. So you can see, like, the blood from the sink to the dishwasher and everything like that. It's crazy. Like, it's very obvious he loaded the dishwasher. I'm really interested to see these pictures. The second star witness, after everybody's trying to absorb all this information and the fact that this man has made it all over the house with 16 axe wounds in his body. You imagine him looking in the mirror that day and was like, all right, feel like shit, but we're going to work. I thought I I looked rough in the mornings. I just like, I don't, the human body is such a weird thing. It is. So the next star witness was a witness for the defense and it was Chris's mom. What? She entered the courtroom arms linked with her son Christopher. No. And she got up on the stand with all of her facial scarring, which is extensive. Yeah. And testified that she doesn't remember implicating her son. She did say that she was upset about his financial situation, but they were all committed to working on their relationship. And she did not believe that he would kill his dad and attack her. That's a mother. So much so that she gathered $250,000 to post for his bail while he was going through trial. Damn. If that's not a mother's love, I don't know. But at the same time... It's, I, think, I think she honestly might not honestly genuinely remember. I'm sure she doesn't. Right. I'm, like, I'm sure she doesn't. Like, trauma has a way right. of doing that anyway. And if you're talking about the brain being injured, I'm sure right. she doesn't remember. Right. But 
the evidence as far But I'm sure that's also like, part of the reason she doesn't believe it is because there is no forensic, forensic evidence that ties him to it. It's right, like, it's all circumstantial, but... Eh, yeah. But then it's like, how many eyewitnesses do we have to right. doubt? And, and your neighbor saw the car And he said there. that he was sleeping and there's clear surveillance footage that he Oof. wasn't at his campus that night. Where was he then? Like, I... Yeah. You have to believe that everyone is lying. Right. And not your son. A hundred other people are lying and not your son. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So despite this whole showmanship of, like, solidarity and mm-hmm. them linking arms and walking in and out of the courtroom, the jury is not convinced. So they convicted him on August 10th, 2006 of second-degree murder and second-degree attempted murder which carried a sentence of 25 to life on each count, and he was ordered to serve a minimum sentence of 50 years. Mm. So he will be eligible for parole in 2052, and all of his appeals since then have been rejected. And that is the story of the Porco family axe murders. So he has not confessed or talked to reporters he's appealed. or... He's appealed. Yeah, he said that he's innocent, and he's adamant that he's innocent. What do you think now, knowing what you know? I think he's guilty. Yeah, I think he did it too. But when you have two tollway booth people that saw him and right. saw him, saw him entering the freeway by his campus and saw him exiting the freeway by mm-hmm. his family's house, and you have a neighbor that places his jeep there, and a code is obviously it's somebody they know because the code was punched in. Right. So it is somebody they know. Right. And two people, and one of them was underwater. Two yeah. people know your code. Right. And one of them was in the right. submarine. Right. So. And he was telling a financial advisor he's coming into a lot of money. Yeah. Life, insur- life insurance money. Yeah. And if your dad can get up and go about their normal routine with 16 axe marks in their face, I do believe the mom can nod her head and say that it was her son. Yeah. So I trust that original first one before whatever brain injury took over medically induced coma took over everything like that i trust all of that first damn because she knew enough to shake her head no when they said jonathan that's what i was gonna say when she said no for the other yeah it wasn't like she was just nodding to everything right that's crazy but him going about his normal routine and just like doing the dishes doing the dishes I wonder if there's any other cases of something like that. It'd be weird to, like, like you said, the yeah. mo- the best description is like a chicken with a hair cut off. Like yes. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere. Like, he's literally loading the dishwasher, blood gushing out of him all over the dishes. Oh and he's just like, God. All over his lunch. Nothing registers. The body's just going through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions like it's another day. Damn. That is really interesting. And... You know he got out of bed, and I'm sure he looked at his wife. Has anybody ever gotten out of bed and not looked at their partner? I want to see the pictures. I want to see the pictures so bad. I'll send, yeah. So I'll send you the article that has them. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's my story. The Porco Family Axe Murders. Oh, yeah. I want to look up these pictures right now. Yeah, so you can literally scroll down. You see, like, both of their... Like, both of their pillows with very distinct, like, outlines. Right. I wonder why they, um, because we've seen it in other, in other cases that we've covered that they can tell by 
the strike or the pattern of blood because as the axe is lifting again for another strike, there's going to be a very distinct pattern, right? Or yeah. up on the wall or something. Yeah. Why they couldn't, um, or they, I don't know if they did, but try to determine like the person's height, like who would have done it. Cause this person, he's really tall. So why they didn't do more into, yeah. into that. Looking that might've just not been like the smoking gun and the whole thing. Uh, I mean, he looks like what six four, six five, six six. I don't know because I don't know how tall his mom is. His mom oh, could be true. five she foot does look three. Like a shorty. You know. Holy moly! But you can see like his mom goes over to him in court and like rubs his back yeah, and I stuff see like that. she's being a mom. But yeah, it's the stuff like the blood in the bathroom, and you can see it at the sink, and then downstairs in the kitchen floor, he's walked through it. Like, he's walked through his own blood, and then it's all over the dishwasher. Like, you can literally follow his footsteps around the house. He also went outside to get the newspaper, and he got locked out of the house, and he went and got Peter? the- Yeah. He went and got the spare key to let himself back in. And that's the key that he had in his hand? Yeah. Oh, my God. So he literally went outside, got locked out, and he was like, let me go get the spare key, let himself back in the house, and nobody saw him standing out there oh, all yeah, axed up. Oh, yeah, there's spare key in the lock. Yep. And then he falls in the doorway. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Can you imagine the pathologist, too, as they're following this, like, they're this like, blood pattern around the house, and you're like, here? he literally walked all over this house. And I'm sure they tried to, like, try and piece it into the crime. And then realized that it wasn't the perpetrators that had done this. It was him. Sorry. I'm like super no, into I trying know. to look all these pictures up. There's so many. Like you said, there's so many. Yep. Taking them from place to place to place. Yep. You can literally just follow his trail yeah. around the house. That's insane that a body could do that. Yeah. Poor Peter. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that. Well, I don't know. I can never. I can never understand I'm torn about kids the mom. Kids that do this for, like, for money. Like, the kids that do it, their parents are, like, horribly abusive and, you know, you almost can't really blame them when they finally, like, snap and they kill their parents that have just caused them so much misery over their upbringing. But then when it's just, like, you just screwed over your parents and then you ax them, it just, ugh. This has uh, screenshots. I think it's the car coming... The Jeep Back in or leave, yeah, yeah, it's at court. Mm-hmm. You can see him there's so maybe. many good photos from there's this case. There's a lot of good photos, yeah. Is there a movie? Uh, yeah, so yeah, a movie was made about the case. And my understanding is that he's like filed a lawsuit against the the producers or something like that, but I don't think I don't know that it went anywhere or that he won it. But yeah, they've made it into a, a movie, it's probably like Lifetime movie or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's called Romeo Killer, the Chris Porco story. It says a charming but devious college student is accused of killing his wealthy father and attempting to murder his mother in their home while they slept. Um, it's got, oh, it's got, um, let me give you some names. Eric McCormick. Love him. Will from Will and Grace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... I don't recognize any other names. Sorry. But there's him. <laughs> he plays a detective. I don't know why they called it the Romeo story, though. Yeah, Romeo killer? I wonder... 
I know oh, it, it is a Lifetime movie. Yeah. <laughs> I know a girlfriend testified against him in court, but I don't... It wasn't, like, a huge part of the story, so... I didn't find a whole lot of information about, like, what her testimony was. Well, it's got a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I will not be wasting my time. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Okay, so palate cleanser for everybody that's... Oh, good. <laughs> so we have a What the Florida. This one's actually kind of funny. So the headline is, Criminal leaves phone at break-in, calls to ask for it back. <laughs> Wayne Bradley Wade, arrested on burglary grand theft charges. That's the subtitle. So in Hollywood, Florida... It says, unlike the characters in the movie Frozen, one South Florida criminal just couldn't <laughs> let it go. <laughs> now, Wayne Bradley Wade is in even more trouble than he was before. Wade, 46, allegedly pulled off a successful break-in in a Hollywood home on Wednesday night, but quickly realized he left his phone on the victim's bed inside the house. Instead of moving on from his mobile technology, Wade decided to call his cell phone to have it returned. The police detective investigating the crime heard the phone ringing in the house and answered it. <laughs> so they identified the fingerprints on the phone. Police were able to nab him as their suspect and fingered him as five other or fingered him to five other robberies Damn. in the same neighborhood. All because he just wanted his cell phone back. What dumbass! <laughs> Get a belt clip next time. No, I love just when they're dumb like that. <laughs> also, yeah, I mean. My brain goes straight to, like, no, officer, my phone was stolen. I was calling it to try and find it. You found it? Great. Great. No, he's like, no, I did just rob the place and left it there. so left my phone here. (laughs) Do you mind meeting up with me to return it real quick? We should meet at the police station, though, to be, like, safe. (laughs) Take safety precautions. (laughs) Six feet, please. Oh my gosh. Can you just toss it? That'd be great. <laughs> I'll catch it. You leave it here. I'll just drop by, like, pick it up. No, 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 no. I'm going to put it behind this door here. You come on in yeah. and get it. <laughs> Step inside, sir. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cool. Well, thank you for the story. Yeah. Alrighty. Okie dokie. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Yes. Now we can officially move on to Christmas. I'll allow it. Thanks. It's happening in the... It's happening in my household. Yeah. It's definitely happening in yep. your household. I know. Mackenzie pulled up today and we were two Christmas lights. Christmas lights. Yes. At least she waited for two days after Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, it was nice for her to like maybe pace it a, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Kind of surprised she wasn't down there pulling things out for Thanksgiving night. All right. I think that's it. Okay. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.